Charcoal Book Club is the first and only Book of the Month club dedicated exclusively to photo books. Each month, Charcoal works with the most respected names in contemporary photography to select a first edition monograph that's a must-have for every collection. Each book arrives signed by the artist along with a note card and print from the guest curator, with free shipping to the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. Past curators have included Alex Soth, Mark Steinmetz, Melissa Catanese, Ron Jude, and many other photographers you've heard on this podcast. As a member for the past year, I gotta say that Charcoal Book Club really is the best, most exciting way to stay up to date with essential work in contemporary photography. Use code MAGICHOUR at checkout, and in addition to your membership, Charcoal will send you a previous book of the month of your choice for free. Join the club at charcoalbookclub.com and use the code MAGICHOUR. I'm Jordan Weitzman, and you're listening to Magic Hour. Not gonna lie, I had a pretty big art crush on Rory Mulligan long before I met him to talk about his work. I remember first discovering it on the JNL Books website in the special edition section. They had published a small book of his work in an edition of 10 called Freddy. You couldn't find it anywhere, but there were enough pictures on the site to get a feel for what he was up to. But I remember thinking to myself, what exactly was he up to? There was a strange, dark, melancholic, but humorous tone to his photos. And there was a quality in them that I felt reflected a certain tradition of documentary-style art photography. His voice, though, was lyrical and uncanny in all of them. As I've gone to speak with photographers for the show, Rory's name has often come up as someone whose work has had a big influence on them, especially some of the younger ones. Rory got his MFA at Yale, has had solo shows in the US and Japan, and his work has been featured in Blindspot, Newspaper, and Matt Magazines, just to name a few. Until I started preparing for this interview, I hadn't even realized that he was a master printer too. The go-to for Latoya Ruby Fraser, Todd Papa George, Justine Curlin, Mark Steinmetz. I mean, if those names don't give you a sense of level of quality demanded in their work, I really don't know who does. All traditional black and white hand printing, so delicate and subtle and nuanced, really a fine art unto itself. We got together at a studio in an abandoned aerosol spray can factory in Yonkers, New York the same town which he grew up in. That landscape of his childhood is the same one that he continues to explore in his work today. For me, there's just something about that suburban uh, look and feel that has this narrative potential for me, uh, probably just based around being kind of a more of a loner as a child um, and having an imagination and uh, watching just a lot of movies all the time. Uh, so it felt like a rich tapestry kind of where I didn't, you know, I would say, oh, this is like maybe fits in with the genre of like more narrative-based photography, yet there's definitely no story mm-hmm. <laughs> happening uh, in the beginning. Do you feel that it took you a long time to find your place in photography, to, like to figure out what it was that you wanted to to do or to say? Oh, yeah. I mean, it wasn't until grad school where I really grappled with that. My teachers um, were all of that era, straight white male working on the street, mm-hmm. largely in New York. Um, And then right after undergrad, I went and started my job as a printer, 
uh, in a dark room and it continued that and I was printing Todd Papa George's work mm -hmm. passing through Eden mm -hmm. um, and I was just so enamored with the whole so after undergrad I got really into more back into street photography because I was living in Brooklyn working in Soho and I just like I'd photograph on my lunch breaks and weekends and just that idea of you know, this imagined community and like the idea of walking through Central Park and you see like Deanne Arbus taking pictures. Um, and I think like the lack of a formal photography world too. There's something so romantic about that. Um, but it got to this point where I'm like, what the hell am I doing? I'm like, you know, I was super self-conscious going into Yale, working with like handheld cameras black and white making my own analog prints it was just like not not in fashion mm -hmm. and I thought I was gonna get yelled at and just like told to like you know get with it but I did it myself and that was through me questioning like where the hell am I in this like history that I'm romanticizing that I've never been a part of um, and that I have a different perspective on the world when you started to make that work i wonder if like if you had a clear idea of what your story was that you wanted to tell of how you wanted to express yourself of what you were all about or if it was something that you figured out by making the work both mm -hmm. uh definitely both i mean right before i started grad school uh, my best friend from childhood, who I'd mostly lost contact with, died um, of an overdose. Oh, shit. And it was just this really surreal moment for me. Um, you know, as 23, uh, I was going to Yale and, like, found this thing that I loved. And then my friend, like, gotten out of prison and died that day. Oh, my God. <laughs> um and he was just a really central figure in my youth. Um, you know, like the first person I loved, but like, you know, didn't love me back because he wasn't gay. Mm -hmm. um, and so that became a way to locate just geographically, like where to begin, how to make work about, you know, my feelings surrounding other men. Where did it start? Um, and it started with him and within this, the landscape that I'd already been photographing. So I started going back to Yonkers and was largely just walking around um, anywhere. Like my parameters were basically like walking distance from my parents' house and kind of revisiting locations that were specific to my history um, um, places like we would hang out and searching for some sort of like aura <laughs> or like the trace of memory, but like, how do you photograph something that's like vaporous? Um, and that's a theme that's continued in my work. Do you feel that there's certain uh, landscapes, just like there might be certain people or any type of subject matter that elicit a certain kind of magic in the picture making somehow. Yeah, but I think it's about the photographer or the artist's relationship to that site or place. Really? Um, you know, like 
someone else could walk through these neighborhoods where I'm photographing and it would be a completely different thing. Um, but for me in there, I think that, you know, photography, it's kind of my language and it expresses the things that I can't always verbalize. And so for me, that idea of these sites was always, you know, just walking around as a kid feeling this kind of unspoken connection to the area um, and how to actually photograph that. I think that's probably where that ethos of street photography was helpful for me in that you just have to like shoot now, ask questions later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and something eventually builds up. And, you know, I started inserting the photographs of other men along with photographs of myself and kind of threw them in the pot together and mixed them up. And it was a way to interrupt this, you know, otherwise recognizable world of like black and white uh, street photography, for lack of a better term. Uh, and they, you know, it was about the photographs like charging one another. How did the self portraits come into play? Well, I started right at the same time I started making portraits. Um, part of it was A, I'd never worked with people <laughs> and a camera. So figuring out, like, how do I want, like, what's supposed that I want? Um, how do I deal with the rest of the frame? Um, part of it was just, like, probably, like, Catholic guilt of, <laughs> well, I'm asking other people to do this, so I have to do it myself. Mm-hmm. And then also there was uh, my frustration with the medium itself and the fact that it's always this, like, mute, static object on the wall uh, and I just wanted to have some sort of more performative or expressive element in my work. And, you know, I was also thinking about, you know, I'm always thinking about the history of the medium itself and the idea of self-portraiture, I think, is something often associated more with women. Um, and I think that there is kind of an unwillingness of men to like point the camera at themselves. So it was all of those things at once, I think just Mm -hmm. came together and made me want to do that. Was there a quality that you were looking for that you can describe in those pictures? The self portraits? Yeah. Well, some of them were, About a, like, non-logic. I don't know. Like, there's one of me in my underwear in the snow. And I was taken in New Haven, like, right outside of my apartment. And it had been snowing. I had this, like, brown underwear. And I just, like, had this vision of, like, I don't know, my ass and, like, not being able to see my arms. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I want, and I I think I wanted them to be sort of, uh, some of them to be a little defiant, as well and be kind of loud a little um define how so you know because i i was showing this all in the context of critiques at yale and i was a lucky one <laughs> i was mostly like got a lot of love there 
um, until the very end. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I would sometimes get in that seat and just, you know, I have a lot of like social anxiety and to be looked at and have to talk and then like show this work. Um, I was just so uncomfortable in my own body at that point Mm -hmm. too, that I would sometimes just like shut down and not really say anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then have a photograph of like myself naked, like spewing foam. Uh Um, you know, there's something liberating about that. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. That play between like, okay, this is a picture of me on the wall, but what does that mean? And then how do you, uh, reconcile that with the person that's sitting in front of you, like not saying anything. Uh, so maybe a little bit, a little bit was like some adolescent, uh, brattiness, but (laughs) it felt a little powerful. I don't know. To like control and create your own image. And it changed from picture to picture, you know, like summer, like there's another one up there, uh, with me with a cigarette again. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, you know, a bit dreamier, hazier, uh, you know, because what I was trying to do with the pictures of men was create this less one-dimensional depiction of masculinity. And I guess that goes back to what you were asking me before, like, how did I find my place or what was I trying to say Um you know, with my work. And at the time it was definitely working on the archetype of my childhood friend who kind of embodied all of these complicated and contrasting elements of like sexiness and punk and like a total fuck up, but also brilliant and like not gay, but not super hetero I um someone complex and rich uh mm-hmm. and I guess that was my issue with like you know someone like Maplethorpe where it just felt to me so like this is it mm-hmm. <laughs> one dimensional yeah yeah um so I just wanted to create you know definitely my own my own view of like what I found interesting and attractive about other men, but also, you know, largely it was about my discomfort, you know, uh, with other men. So like, I guess the work grappled more with my, uh, yeah, my discomfort as a person, like as a gay man, Mm -hmm. as opposed to getting over the street photography was more like, getting over myself as an artist. And so they were two separate but related things. Hmm. I'm looking at the pictures on the wall and there's, um, we've talked a little bit about the different types of pictures you make. Mm-hmm. There's pictures made, made out in the world that you know we've been referring to as street photography, but I just think of them as yeah, pictures out of reality. There's pictures of men, there's self-portraits, and there's a certain kind of still life, maybe, that you can describe mm-hmm. them as. I mean, you're a cl- our classic genres. I'm curious if you photograph people 
the same way that you photograph inanimate objects or landscapes? Um, or, or, or rather, are you looking for the same types of things in the frame, in the picture? No, it's very different. Mm-hmm. I think all of these are really different. Um, working out in the world, I would say that's more my native language in a way and something that comes to me more naturally as opposed to working with a person you know you have I have some ideas in my mind of like specific images I want you know they never turn out exactly as I think they will and then you have to deal with the fact you know that you're dealing with another human and they're often strangers so it's like the social encounter mixed with especially you know oftentimes they're gay so there's sometimes expectations I think on the model's end Mm -hmm. um, that I have to like quell from the beginning Mm -hmm. and you know I always am up front that I just want to photograph (laughs) Um, so no it's really different and then with myself you know it's strange because I'm not behind the camera but it's more like play I think with the Mm self-portraits so yeah you know you like obviously there's like a big difference between uh like a tree and a naked man in front in like your room (laughs) Mm -hmm. um changes the dynamic quite a bit Mm -hmm. I want to ask you a bit about the projects you've been working on and how you began to develop them and maybe we could talk about um your first big body of work which was Freddie Yes. And how that how did that kind of come together? By the way, that was the first work of yours that I originally saw, I think, which was a which was a J and L artist book. Yeah. That you did with Jason. Uh uh-huh. with Jason Fulford. And uh it's a little pink book that you guys only made ten of, much to my dismay. Don't tell him, but I've left but my copy here and it it's totally sun bleached <laughs> on the front. <laughs> It's more like tangerine instead of pink now. Well, I really want to see front. it. I, I really want to see it because I've actually never seen it in in the flesh. I've only seen pictures <laughs> online, but I remember seeing that work and being really, uh, really curious about it. So Freddie, yeah, I mean, to me, Freddie is the work that's on the wall. So there are photographs here from 2008, and then there are photographs from 2018. Yeah, and it's something you know how I just described it, the origin of it, and what really motivated me to return to like this childhood area uh, that's something I never discussed mm-hmm. in school um, which made it difficult because you know they really want to get in your head there and I didn't want to like open myself up like that um, but I don't know I mean I feel like I've talked about it a bit you know it's about like grappling with my role as a photographer, my role as a queer person, my role as like a black and white photographer in the mid to late 2000s. Um, and even that has evolved in the like since I started making this work, you know, like people don't really give a shit what you're doing. Um, what do you mean? You know, like people shoot black and white, people shoot color. Um, it doesn't matter so much. I think it's less of a conversation. Like 
I think that the initial, like, one of the initial, like, uh, brouhaha's in photography was, like, black and white versus color, and mm-hmm. then it became street photography. I'm sorry, I keep using street photography, like, I hate that term. I know, and I know what you mean. Even but, using yeah. it for my own work, I'm yeah. just maybe too lazy to come up with language to, like, describe my out-in-the-world pictures. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, is that versus, like, stage tableau photography. Um, and then, even when I was in grad school, it was about, you know just a photograph versus um like a constructed image or a deconstruction of the photograph uh and its qualities as like a medium that weren't related to image Mm -hmm. and all of these things i feel have kind i you know it seems like more open now i don't know if it's the internet i don't know what it is um but those that like infighting, and maybe it's because I'm not like, I mean, I'm in an academic setting, but um, I just feel like I don't hear those conversations as much anymore, which is kind of a relief. The color versus black and white. Just all of those, like all that infighting, like in photography, it's mm-hmm. like, just shut up. We're already like the butt of the art world. <laughs> um, you know, like, do you really need to fight each other? Like, do your thing. Who right. cares? Um, oh, you have a different philosophy of the medium. That's a good thing. Right. You know, it's a healthy thing. Uh, so, you know, that's why I, th- and then I think there are like some people like more traditionalists that it's always like straight men that I think sometimes like approach me in this way where they have this perception of me because I like work in this manner um, and have like this reputation as like a master printer, which I guess I am. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But I'm like, I don't, you know, I know how to make things look good. I'm not tied to like a school of thought necessarily. Right. Uh, I totally just deviated from the question. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, there's that element. There are all these different elements with Freddie work, and it's something that, with hindsight, because I stopped working on this completely for years and moved on to other things. You know, I never viewed this as, like, a quote-unquote project. I'm someone that just would make pictures and make pictures and make pictures and then figure out how they came together through editing. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So you're working on Freddy, which is, it's still, I mean, it's still an ongoing body of work that you're developing as you, mm-hmm. you know, as you continue to make pictures and to go. But you started another project that was originally called Sam I Am, which is yes. taking on a new title now, The Sundial. Yeah, as of now. Yeah? Yeah. Well, what's that project all about? That, you know, as I mentioned earlier, this all the work I've been making, which we'll, we'll just kind of like lump it into the world of Freddie. Like kind of the way I use the term street photography. I'm like, sure. That's part of that. Uh, 
but with that project in particular, you know, earlier I'd been interested in making this complex portrait of men, something that, you know, maybe allowed for some vulnerability and like soft tenderness, maybe. Uh, I went the complete opposite direction with that work and I wanted to make work that was about the male tendency towards violence. And I used the site in Yonkers uh, called Untermeyer Park, which is associated with the son of Sam, uh, who is a serial killer in the 1970s in New York, mostly in the outer boroughs. Um, How is it associated with him? He lived nearby and was arrested nearby in Yonkers. And the park was this is this beautiful site, but it had been left to the city of Yonkers by Samuel Untermeyer, who was the last owner of it. And, you know, Yonkers is like, <laughs> we could have a whole podcast about the politics <laughs> of Yonkers. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, they couldn't afford to do anything with it. So it just fell into complete disrepair. And it became this site that, you know, grew a reputation as being like, haunted junkies would hang out there uh it's just like not a good place um so anyway the story is that he was part of this satanic cult that would practice in untermeyer park and there were physical traces of it uh like animal sacrifices um satanic graffiti Mm -hmm. And Yonkers actually destroyed one building in the park, even though it's a National Historic Landmark, um, where there was the most evidence of this activity. Um, It's called the Devil's Cave. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there are photographs of it, but it's gone. And so I use that as this site uh, to kind of center everything off of, because it's something I grew up with that story growing up in Yonkers, like you knew about the son of Sam. Right. And Untermeyer Park is like where the goth kids would go and where you'd go to like get high. Um, and it's spooky as hell. And like, uh, just like this strange oasis in the middle of Yonkers. Mm-hmm. So I was always attracted to the site itself to begin with. And I just found a way like the son of Sam story was this way in to talk about masculinity in a different way than I had been. Um, and it just felt so contemporary. Like the fact that a gun was the murder weapon. Um, you know, I have these old newspapers here. You can see some of the headlines are like, Sam was rejected by girl. Uh, that's why he killed people. And you know, there are just so many echoes of that that have always happened uh, with this like male rejection and like how that is used as an excuse or explanation for murdering people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the basis of it. And then it just became a way of like fleshing it out and figuring out the best format uh, for it, which I'm like still doing. The park has been undergoing this restoration process, and it I like I don't even recognize it today. Uh, but they were digging up this old waterfall that I have recurring images of in my book edit, um, 
and as they were digging it up, like all of this stuff was coming up from the earth, like, you know, medical ID bracelets, lighters, toy guns, cans, bottles. And you can like see, you know, I felt a bit like an archaeologist or something with like the evolution of like Budweiser can design. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, this is, f- I remember this from the 90s. Uh, this, you can see like the pull off lid is definitely from the 80s at mm-hmm. least. Uh, And so there was something about those objects where, you know, even though they're not affiliated with the story, the fact that they were physical remnants that existed in this era that had passed, um, that felt like making tangible this history that had been alighted through time and through human intervention uh, that I was trying to make photographs of. So it goes back to this whole, like, idea of me searching for things that are already gone mm-hmm. uh with the camera which is like the most uh like non-intuitive form of photographing because photography is like describes the surface of things mm-hmm. and i'm like what if the thing isn't there mm-hmm. <laughs> um because you know i like to make my life harder but <laughs> so it's about like the challenge is finding these ways to make tangible um these histories and these events and the fact that you know the whole satanic spin on the story is like part fact part folklore uh gives me i think like freedom Mm -hmm. in terms of like the way i set up uh the work because it's not you know i i've never been interested in like you know retelling this the specific history it's like using the story to talk about something else right and do you see uh like the manifestation of the work being important to creating that context or like the narrative that you're interested in creating the i mean the struggle with the work has been like what is the role of narrative in this like what is the role of this specific backstory Mm -hmm. and everyone has a different opinion which (laughs) doesn't help me um And that's, you know, the new title. (laughs) There was a sundial in the park and there, you know, it's also gone. And there are these archival photographs of Samuel Untermeyer, like standing by it. And like, apparently he would like set his watch to the sundial. Um, You know, I'm curious because I don't get this discussion. You know, when, when people talk about context, there's all these, you know, context discussions. Is it important? Is it not important? And, uh, and I, I sort of don't really get them because I always feel that like, I mean, unless context is an excuse for the quality of work, right? then how is it not an interesting thing? I mean, like, number one, the work has to be really good or else you're not going to want to look at it. Mm-hmm. So, but, so if the work is actually really strong, then doesn't context only enhance it? Yeah. Yes, but I think that there can be this line... Um, where especially with the way I was making this work, as I mentioned, there's like landscape, uh, portrait still lives. And then I also have these documents that I accessed, uh, from someone connected to the, (laughs) that, uh, to Berkowitz, uh, David Berkowitz, he's the actual son of Sam. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think think that it's more about like this saturation point of like when does this sink under its own weight 
mm-hmm. and there's just like too much information, mm-hmm. you know, like with the Freddie work, you know, I, I was avoiding talking about the context for my own self-preservation. Uh, and then with this work, it's like the story itself is so like tantalizing, um, to me at least, Mm -hmm. uh, that it's such a, it's like a pull for me in a way to like begin to talk about the work Mm -hmm. and yeah, I guess, you know, people just have, as you mentioned, people have different opinions about like this idea of the context of photographs versus just the photographs themselves. And, um, I don't know. So it's something I'm still trying to work out. Yeah. The two players in the, in the work are Mike, who's an older guy and Sam, who's the younger guy. Yeah. Who who are they? Mike is someone I met in Syracuse when I did the light work residency. Um, I went up to light work and I was planning on just like catching up on years of printing. But then I got there and I was like, I really want to make new work. I want to make portraits. And so I put out a Craigslist ad and found him and he's amazing. Hmm. Um, And just so like the way I talk about being uncomfortable in my own skin, he is like the polar opposite Mm -hmm. and just like so proudly presents himself and then sam is a younger the younger guy someone i met through justine uh he was one of her students at sarah lawrence and he to me represented like the polar opposite of mike and like maybe an exaggerated version of myself at his age Mm -hmm. and just like his own kind of awkwardness Mm -hmm. um and so initially, yeah, I had them there. I, I don't know. I just wanted, like, I liked that polarity. Uh, but the way I've put the work together through this aspect of the landscape of the park changing uh, through this restorative process and the lack of any cultural signifiers, you know, like there are no clothes, uh, there are no cars, um, there's a timeless quality to it. So I began to see them more as like maybe the same person uh and that this idea of time ties things together in the project of you know in terms of elapsed time Mm -hmm. and not having any sort of context Mm -hmm. uh to like give you a specific idea of era um and then there, because there are some photographs of Sam where it he goes from like very sheepish to more a little like menacing. Um, so that's how I have it edited in the book right now. Mm-hmm. So they kind of start to come and meet more in the middle, actually. Did you recently st- uh, stop working as a printer? Yes, you did. In order, yeah. sort of in order to teach full time. Yeah. Uh huh. You just didn't have the time to devote to it anymore. Yeah, I definitely do not have the time now and it's like I've been doing it I've been doing it for like 12 years uh-huh. and um you know it's great cuz I had access to like the best facilities to do my own work but at the end of 8 hours standing on your feet like working for other artists like and now I'm no longer 23 mm-hmm. um 
to have the physical energy to do that, it's like, it just became kind of like a losing game for me. Something you said that you learned from, from the process of printing, you said, yeah, working as a printer taught you everything about patience. I, in that specific context, I know what you're talking about like one of my last days, what I, well, actually what I thought was my last day mm -hmm. um, on the job, I had to print one of Todd's Central Park photographs and I hadn't printed his work in 10 plus years. Mm -hmm. And it just was like so emotional. And the fact that I was leaving and this like giant part of my life was ending, um, I was just like making test strips and like crying in the dark room and um, what Todd, you know, and that work in particular, like, as I mentioned, just taught me so much about, you know, how to get a photograph to look the way you want it to look, how to make it feel, uh, how to work with light and skin and crap, like all of these different elements in black and white. Um, but also the fact that in terms of patience, you know, that work came out in 2007, the last photograph had been made in like 1990. And so the patience in that element is like for A, just working on that project for so long and then B, it not really being seen until decades after. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, sometimes things, yeah, there's that, that end of like, uh, the Chris Krauss chapter on Paul Tech is like sometimes things just don't work out for Todd it did um, but you know that's the reality of being an artist it's like you don't know uh, and you could have one show you can have one book and have a moment but like where are you going to be in 10 years mm -hmm. and if you don't have financial security like if you don't have a trust fund then like you've really stay up at night worrying about these things. Um, so I guess that's more of what I was referencing with that patience in that regard is more specific, I think to like Todd, but also, you know, more universal as, you know, just with artists of, you know, sometimes things don't work out on your intended timeline. Mm -hmm. So the whole, the, the whole nature of, of it all is so fraught with those struggles and those insecurities and those difficulties along the way. What is it that keeps you going? I mean, that's the thing that I'm always so interested in, in sustained interest and effort. What is yeah. that? I mean, I don't know if I have a, great answer for why um well okay i guess i do have <laughs> i lied um i mean it's you know as we were, we were talking about before we the mics were on like for me it's like the photo isn't real until i make a print of it and like see that first test strip and like it becomes this physical thing in the world um but it's that moment it's like holy shit, I made this and mm -hmm. there is nothing like it. Like the power of being an artist is to like a, yes, yeah, surprise. We talked about before. It's like surprising yourself. Um, and you know, 
I think it's a good thing to be like kind of knocked on your ass by your own work every once in a while. Uh, and it certainly doesn't happen all the time, but it's that moment where it's just like absolute financial ruin. Um, no clear light at the end of the tunnel, you know, like those are long, that's the majority of it, you know, like honestly. And I've had moments where I'm like, fuck this and have gotten really bitter and wanted to just like do something else. But you just have to like, it's kind of like a job uh, in that you just have to keep doing it. Like fortunately I have a good work ethic and that was like instilled in me from a young age. So um, even though I've wanted to give up sometimes and maybe have momentarily, it's like, it's just the, it's how I communicate, you know? Um, so without it, I just really don't know who I would be. I think we're going to end on that note. We couldn't ask for a better ending. So um, I'm just going to, Thank you for having me over here. Thanks for coming to beautiful industrial Yonkers. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. That was my conversation with Rory Mulligan that we recorded in Yonkers, New York. This episode was produced by me, Jordan Weitzman, and was edited by Crystal Duhame. Music on this episode by Adam Feingold. To find out more about the show, visit us at magichourpodcast.org. And if you like the show, take a second, give us a review on iTunes. It helps others discover the show, and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in, as always, and happy holidays from Montreal.